If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 560. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audio book of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. Get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You can also click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can get a book plate if you want to autograph one of my books. Of course, purchasing one of my books is also a great way to support the show, and you can get those wherever you can buy books online, but my latest are The Jeffersonian Tradition and Southern Scribblings. You can also click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can buy my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. You can go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, learntruehistory.com to support the show. All those ways are great ways to support the show financially, and I do appreciate every one of those things. But you can also support the show by sharing it around on social media, rating it where you get your podcasts, let people know that you're thinking locally and acting locally, and this is a Think Locally, Act Locally episode. In fact, I'm going to put two things together today. Uh... And we're going to talk about the revitalization of federalism, which if, and I've said this before on this show, if COVID has done anything, it's revitalized the way people think about the federal structure of the United States. Now, if you've taken my originalist papers classes, if you've read my founding father's guide to the constitution, you know that I argue that the United States is not a nation. The United States is a confederal or federal union of states. And this was essentially made clear during the ratification process. It was made clear in the Philadelphia Convention, but really in that ratification process, this was hammered home. In fact, I've made the argument many times over that the Constitution would not have been ratified if anyone thought otherwise. We didn't have a national government. There was no national United States. Even Madison said, well, look, the only part of the Constitution that creates a national entity is the, is the House of Representatives, but the Senate is something else. And other people said this too. The Senate represents the states in their sovereign capacity. That was actual language that was used in defense of the Constitution. So we have this Constitution, a federal Constitution, with limited powers, I talked about this with Calhoun. Why was Calhoun trying to come up with a concurrent majority? Because, again, he said it. If we don't do something to put teeth in the Tenth Amendment, then all we're going to have is a constitution that allows the general government to do whatever it wants. It's the you-can-do-anything-you-want-to-do clause. It's the necessary and proper clause. This is essentially the way that uh, Hamilton used that clause to his advantage in arguing for the First Bank of the United States. It's what John Marshall and Daniel Webster essentially said about it in the McCulloch v. Maryland case in 1819. But that's not the way it was argued when the Constitution was being ratified. In fact, it was said over and over again in very important states like Virginia that 
the Necessary and Proper Clause was simply a way for Congress to pass necessary legislation to do the things that were enumerated in the Constitution. And if it wasn't enumerated, then they couldn't do it. So, for example, there's no power granting the central government the ability to charter a bank of the United States. They did it anyways. But the Necessary and Proper Clause wasn't there to give the Congress power to charter a bank unless it specifically said Congress has the power to charter a bank or charter corporations. This is how it was argued. In fact, Hamilton knew it because he and Madison purposely left the ability for the central government to charter a bank out of the enumerated powers. They had a conversation about it in August of 1787. So they knew this. This is why Hamilton was duplicitous and Hamilton lied. and said Hamilton lied and the Constitution died. I mean, this is what happened. So when you look at federalism, it was the key to understanding the entire United States structure. In fact, all we got out of the Constitution was a more perfect union. A more perfect union of what? Well, states. It was the same structure that we had under the Articles with the central government having a little more authority, a little more power. We create a, uh, an executive branch. We create a judicial branch. Those things weren't there under the Articles. So the central authority has a way to referee, to act as a referee between the states and disputes between the states. It has a way to enforce the laws, to execute the laws that Congress passes. That's the executive branch. But, of course, the executive branch has no legislative power, as we know because Article 1, Section 8 says that all legislative power is herein granted or be vested in the Congress of the United States. It doesn't say that all legislative power is herein granted or vested in the executive and Congress of the United States. It doesn't say that at all. And when you look at someone like Tench Cox, writing uh, in the early days of ratification. And he's saying, look, here are things that the general government cannot do. Here are things that the states must do. You find that most of what we think the general government should do today is supposed to be left to the states. So after and I say all this to bring up a couple of things that were interesting, after the ruling by the Supreme Court allowing... Uh, the Texas, the controversial Texas laws to stay in effect, right? And so uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, thought he was really going to stick it to those right-wingers. So this piece was published in the LA Times a couple of weeks back, and it was, I mean, somebody uh, sent it to me, and it's a great companion piece to something else I want to talk about uh, that comes out of the Daily Mail, the UK paper, right? So, uh, but... The LA Times says, uh, this is Liam Dilling writing, Dillon writing for the LA Times. After the U.S. Supreme Court declined to block a Texas state law that bans most abortions there, Governor Gavin Newsom said he'll push for a new California law that deters the manufacture and sale of assault rifles in the state. Well, this is new. Well, if the right wingers are going to do it, then we're going to do it too. Well, you know what? Your, your terms are acceptable. You see, this is the thing. We have a federal republic that allows for the states to act in ways that they deem uh, responsive to their populations. Now, there is a difference here in that if you wanted to say that um, uh, the Newsom situation, if we're going to be incorporationists, then the Newsom situation is different than the Texas situation or the California situation in this case. But I've said over and over on this program that California can do essentially what it wants when it comes to firearms restrictions. It always has. It's always been able to. Now, do I think that these laws are good laws? No, but I don't live in California. In fact, most days I don't even think about California. 
and I and I would I would encourage people that live in your states not to think about people in other states. Just think about your state and what's going on there. We talked about yesterday, you know, Oregon and and Idaho. I mean, whatever happens there is great for them. It's has little impact on me unless it sets a precedent and people want to start doing things in other states. But the fact is, what happens in Oregon or it happens in Texas or what happens in California, in my mind, stays in those states. The only time you have a problem is when people like Kamala Harris come out and get in the general government and they start trying to run the United States like California or Nancy Pelosi. This is why we don't have a national government. What happens in Alabama should stay in Alabama, not Massachusetts. And same thing, vice versa, right? So this is what a federal government does. In a statement Saturday night, the governor said he was outraged by the court's failure in a decision Friday to enforce longstanding constitutional protections in favor of abortion rights. But by not striking down the Texas anti-abortion law, which relies on private citizens for enforcement, Newsom argued that the court has endorsed states' ability to create similar, similar legal mechanisms to safeguard laws from federal court review. In his statement Saturday, Newsom referred to a recent federal court decision that overturned the state's ban on assault rifles, in which the judge compared the weapons to a Swiss army knife. Quote, if states can now shield their laws from review by the federal courts that compare assault weapons to Swiss army knives, then California will use that authority to protect people's lives, where Texas used it to put, down, put women in harm's way, Newsom said. So this is interesting, right? And I've said this, that the, the federal... Uh, the federal judge getting involved in this particular situation was wrong. I've said it on this podcast. You can go back and find that episode. I said this was wrong. Newsom is actually right in saying that, well, I mean, we could use California law to shield ourselves from federal law. This is, this is true. It should be this way. This is the way it works. In fact, the state of Virginia tried to do this. It led to the very uh, infamous or famous, depending on what you think of it, case of Cohen's v. Virginia in 1821, where... Essentially, Virginia blocked the ability of state decisions to be argued in federal court. John Marshall said, you can't do that. But I think Virginia was right legally and constitutionally here. There are some things that the federal government has no standing to even hear. There's, there's, no, there's no interest in the federal government. The Texas Heartbeat Act, also known as, the, as Senate Bill 8, declares that it is illegal to perform an abortion after about six weeks of a pregnancy, but gives the state no direct role in enforcing that ban. Instead, it authorizes private lawsuits in state courts against doctors or clinic owners who violate its provisions. The new California anti-gun effort, Newsom said, would function the same way. Newsom said he was directing his staff to work with the state legislat legislature and Attorney General Rob Bonta on a new law that would allow private citizens to sue manufacturers or distributors of assault weapons as well as ghost gun kits or parts. If the most efficient way to keep these devastating weapons off our streets is to add the threat of private lawsuits, we should do just that, Newsom said in a statement. So again, this is where Newsom is using federalism to his advantage. And I think that's an interesting development in all of this. Well, use, use the state's to do what you want the states to do. So, if nothing else, I mean, what, what Sotomayor was worried about in her dissent was that we're descending into Calhounville, right? And so, uh, then you have uh, Victor Davis Hanson who will say that, you know, California's Confederate California is trying to bash California. So, see, this is the left and the right using the South as a scapegoat in all this when all Newsom is doing is just, I mean, he's following what the founding generation intended 
for the union to be like. So is Texas, by the way. So is Texas. That's that's the thing. To be consistent means you're going to have to get over the fact that some states are going to do things you don't like. Now, if you live in those states, then you should be fighting against these things. Either one, if you're a leftist in Texas or if you're a conservative in, in California, you should be trying to work not to have these things. But federalism is the way forward to have peaceful resolutions to these big issues that really aren't in the federal purview. And the idea of firearms and what that means. So let's let's just take that part of this for a second, because the other uh, uh, story I'm going to talk about has to do with the militia. So the general government can arm the militia, meaning they can they can force you to have a firearm and a certain amount of ammunition and other things, but they cannot disarm you. That's the thing that people don't realize. They cannot disarm the militia. That is why we have the Second Amendment. It was there to ensure that the general government could not disarm the militia. That's the whole intent. So no federal firearms restrictions. Didn't mean the states couldn't do it, and states did. Okay, so that's the important thing. But also, it's important to note that the states have complete control over the militia unless they're an actual duty of the United States. Unless they're called into service of the United States, the militia, meaning the uh, state militia units. This is something that Ron DeSantis brought up. He said, "Look, we've got. I, I have a. I have a military side of the state of Florida that has. There's no federal control over. He is 100 percent correct about that. So is uh, Abbott in uh, in Texas. So is Newsom in California. He has complete control over the militia. He is commander in chief of the state militia of California." And just as Abbott is commander-in-chief of the state militia of Texas and Santa's state militia of Florida, they are the commander-in-chief of those things. They actually get to determine the officers. I mean, this is, this is in the Constitution. Okay, so only when the National, this is the national Guard, what created the National Guard, was completely unconstitutional. Uh, but only when the militia are called into service of the United States is Joe Biden then commander-in-chief of that group of individuals. So if they're not, then the general government has no control over them. And this is the, a piece from, uh, from the Daily Mail headline. Texas Governor Abbott tells his National Guard Biden is not their commander-in-chief. And this was, oh my gosh, how could he say that? Well, the reason he's doing this is because of COVID, right? So there's 40% of the Texas Guard that doesn't want to get the COVID vaccine. So Abbott's saying, well, you don't have to. You don't have to get it. And uh, so you can't mandate, the president can't mandate that National Guard units get the COVID vaccine. They ha The president might have control over the United States Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, whatever. He has control over those elements, the Space Force, but he has no control over uh, the Texas Guard. And even... The Daily Mail gets it. This was published uh, 5 January uh, 2022. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has sued President Biden over the administration's military vaccine mandate, citing the governor's authority as commander-in-chief and on Texas's sovereignty. Abbott filed suit Tuesday in Texas, asking a federal judge to overturn Biden's vaccine requirement. 
and a filing that repeatedly invokes Abbott's own authority as commander-in-chief of the Guard, which is subject to complex jurisdiction. Under overlapping statutes, state National Guard units remain under the command of governors except when they are called up for federal by the president. Title 10 of the U.S. Code applies to active-duty military, while Title 32 applies to the Guard. The deadline for troops to get vaccinated was December 31st. According to Abbott's suit, 40% of members of the Texas Army National Guard under his command are refusing to get the shot for religious or other reasons. Texas Governor Greg Abbott sued President Biden and Pentagon officials over the military vaccine mandate. Defendants' intrusion into the discretion and scope of Title 32 commanders is contrary to the balance of power between federal and state officials set out by the U.S. Constitution and federal law, Abbott argues in the suit which names Biden in his professional capacity. It is unlawful for defendants to attempt to override the governor's authority to govern his troops and then leave him to deal with the harms that they leave in their wake, according to the suit. The suit cites the Texas state constitution and claims the defendant's actions directly infringe on Governor Abbott's authority as commander-in-chief and on Texas's sovereignty, and so harm Governor Abbott in Texas. This is actually a, a, an important thing to argue for, right? Again, I've said on this podcast, the National Guard is unconstitutional. The governors have complete control of these militia units, which is the National Guard, right? So, I mean, Abbott is completely correct here when it comes to the balance of power between the federal and state governments in this particular way. President Biden imposed the vaccine mandate, which was put forth by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on members of the armed forces. The administration is also fighting in court over private sector mandates for larger employers. According to Abbott's suit, 40% of members of the Texas Army National Guard under his command are refusing to get the shot for religious or other reasons. Guards serve under state authority until called up by the president. Public health officials have repeatedly invoked the effectiveness of the vaccines to head off severe infection or death from COVID-19, which has killed more than 800,000 Americans. Late last month, a federal judge blocked a similar effort by Governor Oklahoma Kevin uh, stick to block the vaccine mandate. Uh, so, a federal judge blocked it. But should this even be heard in... Well, I guess he's suing the federal government, but is this even in, in a federal purview, right? I mean, that's, that's the question. Biden doesn't have any control over state troops unless they're in... Uh, under the direction of the United States, called into service by the United States government. Well, in this case, you have a whole bunch of Texas Guard that aren't called into service by the United States government. So Biden's vaccine mandate is should be uh, you know dead on arrival. It's a dead letter. It doesn't mean anything. First of all, I mean, we we could question about the president's use of mandates, uh, but that's a whole another thing. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who himself recently tested positive for COVID nineteen, replied to Stitt with a letter invoked by the judge citing the president's authority over the Guard under 32 U.S.C. Section 110. The secretary expressed his view not credibly contested by the plaintiffs in their motion or in any of the supporting materials that to maintain a healthy and ready military force capable of protecting the American people, the immediate vaccination against COVID-19 is an essential military readiness requirement for all components and units of the military, including the Oklahoma National Guard. But again, is that true? Uh, does the Guard fall under the purview of the federal government? Well, clearly not. The COVID vaccine mandate should be understood against the backdrop of other military immunization mandates, which date back as far as General George Washington's mandate that troops in the Continental Army be inoculated against smallpox. Nine vaccinations 
are required for all service members, wrote U.S. District Judge Stephen P. Freud. Austin announced the policy in an August memo and subsequently clarified that it applied to non-federalized members of the National Guard. So again, that's the key. That's the key. Because these are non-federalized members of the National Guard. If you're talking about Guard members that are in the service of the United States, well then that gets a little more gray area. And that thing about George Washington's mandate that troops of the Continental Army be inoculated, there's some, there's some dispute over that. Uh, how much... Um, First of all, those were Continental soldiers, so they weren't guard units. They weren't the militia. They were in the service of the United States. So, uh, and and Washington was acting in his uh, capacity as general, not not uh, president of the United States. I mean, there is a, there is a distinction to be made there. He is the general officer of the Continental Army. Um, so there's a whole lot of there's these things don't always it's not apples to apples it's not oranges to oranges I mean sometimes it's apples to oranges in these particular cases so now that has to be hashed out but in reality Abbott is correct just as Newsom is correct if we want to have consistency in all of this if we want to be consistent in our application of federalism then we're going to have to think about these things we're going to have to think about things like Oregon and Idaho we're going to have to think about things like uh, Texas uh, with their uh, in Oklahoma with their resistance to federal vaccine mandates of troops that aren't under their jurisdiction. We're going to have to think about what California can do uh, to reflect the will of the people of California in firearms regulation. These are things that are going to have to happen. And you're going to have to get over it if you're not in that state. You're going to have to understand that, you know what? Sometimes uh, a state outside of where I don't live is going to do something I don't like. For Americans who have been thoroughly puritanized, right? And this is this is where the Puritans are worried, wringing hands at somewhere somebody's doing something they don't like and they have to try to correct that. That's the that's the Yankee spirit in America. That has to go away. Who cares if somebody is doing something you don't like? If it's not affecting you directly. Who cares? Right? Most people go through their whole lives and don't think about a lot of these things. But not the reformers, not the people that are running around, not the, not the do-gooders, the reformers, the Karens, the Yankees in American society. We need to get rid of Yankee-fied America. And if we can do that, and that goes directly back to Lincoln, Lincoln is the, and this is why I've said conservatives can't, you can't be a conservative in America and be a Lincolnite. You just can't. Because if you believe in federalism, which is the heart of originalism, which a lot in a lot of cases is the heart of you know what we talk about American conservatism going back to the ancient constitutions and these things, then you can't support Lincoln because Lincoln was doing everything he could to centralize power. And at the end of the day, that's been used as a justification for all of the power grabs in America. Look at what conservatives say. Look at what liberals say. It doesn't matter. Left, right, progressive, conservative, doesn't matter. They all use Lincoln as their guy. And when everyone uses a guy, that's a bad guy. Uh, because that means that he was doing something extremely wrong. Just like when everyone demonizes a guy, you might want to think about uh, uh, that. Uh, and and um, in some cases it's warranted, but in some cases it's not. In some cases it's good to praise somebody and you know say that collectively we think this person was a good person, but then there's always two sides to every story. So anyways, I wanted to touch on these two pieces because they really bring home this idea of federalism, originalism, thinking locally, acting locally. I wanted to get into that this week, and 
Uh, this will be the last. Po- we only get three podcasts in this week. This will be the last one for this week. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back on a on a, a regular schedule next week. We'll see. But uh, I do appreciate you uh, tuning in to the Brian McClanahan Show this week. And until next week, I'll see you then.